Hey, I hope you're enjoying this content. I want to make sure that you know about our Facebook group. It's totally free, but it's a great place to post any questions you might have, get some resources, talk to people who are doing the clinic gym model. You can find it on Facebook and it's called the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. Once again, the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. If you haven't gotten in there yet, you have to answer a couple questions so we can keep the deadbeats out, but we'd love to have you in there. And if you ever have a question about, hey, I don't know how to set up my insurance or what company do you use for this equipment? That is the absolute best place to post. Every day we're getting great questions and even better answers. And man, there's tons of resources out there that I didn't even know about. So once again, check us out on Facebook. It's the Clinic Gym Hybrid Discussion Group. Hope to see you there. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I am so glad you're here. It is our goal to help 10,000 offices build into a clinic gym. Why? It's the best version of musculoskeletal care, and it's the only version that's perfectly in line with the evidence. The word exercise comes up more than any other word in the research, so let's implement that. And this interview was built to help you understand how to do that. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I am your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I'm joined today by one of the most impressive people I've met in the last few months, Kendall Hagenson. Kendall, how are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. Absolutely. Now, Kendall uh, is not a chiropractor who owns a gym, but she does own a gym. Uh, but you're, you are a mental health uh, therapist, right? And you uh, have a gym and a bunch of other ancillary services around your professional practice. Is that right? Correct. Correct. So I am a mental health therapist um, and I we have a multidisciplinary clinic. So everything from acupuncture, mental health services, naturopathic medicine, massage, nutrition. Um, what am I forgetting? Yoga. We have a movement studio at our spa location. We um, have additional services, IV therapy, sauna, uh, aesthetics. The gym is connected. If it's regulated by a government agency, you tried to start that business, right? Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, the gym part, we have a gym that's connected to our clinic and our fitness trainer, Ron Bryan has been on our team for years. He owns that side though. So I don't own the gym. I just like to be clear about that. Um, and his gym is called true fit personal fitness. And it's a, um, it's a very Zen approach to a gym, a personal training facility. Uh, so our spaces are connected and we collaborate uh, together. Yeah. Well, the reason I wanted to bring you on is sometimes, you know, I don't know if you run into this, but when we stay just in our lane, so me, when I stay in the chiropractic lane, I don't get new ideas and I don't really kind of test the the borders of what's possible. And since you ended up at the same place, right, you have professional practice with services bolted on, I'm like, oh, that's a mirror image of what we're doing, just the license a little bit different, but you still have to do the business things like hiring, onboarding, training, firing, figuring out what's a reasonable salary, but not one or a reasonable pay rate, but not one that's going to kill the business. Right. Right. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. And so let me just illustrate the ecosystem a little bit for my listeners. I met Kendall because mutually we, we are both Jane ambassadors. So (laughs) there's another you know, we both ended up at the same software, which is yep. great. And we love Jane. I know you do too. And we met at the ambassador event. Um, but if we were to zoom out, you know, Kendall has two separate facilities. Both of them have licensed professionals and unlicensed professionals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have the support staff and administration. Right. Excuse me. And uh, And you started out... Very small. I'm going to guess it was just Kendall Incorporated at one point. And then it. At one point, I did yeah. have a private practice for about a year. Yeah. And then you're like, geez, this is just not enough work. I need to add on. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so I want to, I wanted to kind of explore some different, uh, uh, different pathways along that development. So the first thing I'm going to ask um, back when you were starting out and you were, you were growing, you know, hiring is always a stressful place for for folks, no matter what they're in, but in healthcare especially, right? When was the first time you felt like you really were hiring to the point where not just like you're, you know, one front desk person who learns everything on the job because you're right there with them and you're constantly yeah. giving them feedback and stuff, but what was the first hire you made or how big did your team get where you felt like, 
man, this is no longer uh, the Kendall show and Kendall can't fix everything kind of approach. Yeah. I mean, it stopped being the Kendall show after six months of opening the clinic. Okay. Really. Uh, but that's been in the, it's, it's had different formations of that mm-hmm. and different layers of that. So we definitely had, okay, the very first employee was a front desk person. Mm-hmm. They learned it all, you know, with me right by their side and we figured right. it out together. Um, the, when we first started our clinic, everyone was their own business and rented space from me. So okay. it was a collective model and it was very different than it is now. So present day, we have all W2 employees on our team. Um, so, but about six months in, we hired our first practitioner who was an employee Mm -hmm. and that was a massage therapist. Um, so that was kind of the threshold was a six month mark. We had some big changes on our team. We started hiring providers as employees. Uh, we started to have front desk that was fairly self-sufficient in Mm -hmm. at least more ways than before we had front desk. And you weren't jumping in to solve all the problems. You were like, hey. Well, absolutely. Can't was. do your home. <laughs> um, I guess it, you started yeah, offering them some more autonomy or there, yeah. there was a necessity to autonomy because just of the pressures on your time, I'm going to guess. Yeah. I mean, I stopped answering the phone. Basically, okay. you know, but I, w- I still solved a lot of the problems, but I mm-hmm. didn't have to. Um, I didn't have to run down here necessarily for a random issue with the physical space anymore. Okay. And how long did it take? Uh, were you still a, a very large source of the, the facility revenue? Like your professional license was still like the economic driver. So I, the way that I designed the clinic initially, even though it was a collective was that in a way that my personal revenue actually didn't sustain the clinic at all. And I always kept it separate. And the reason that I did that, I didn't have like amazing, like business training or insight to do that. But I did that for selfish reasons for my own health, because um, with my own chronic illness, I knew if I was going to start something, I didn't want it to be reliant on my income for for other people to be able to continue. Because you didn't, you saw th- a possible threat in the future of like, hey, if I if I have to take nine months off, Correct. I don't want this to be like, hey, well, I guess it's closed now. Exactly. The, the exactly. Ends. Okay. So it was designed in a way where. Yeah the rental income from re- subletting the offices mm-hmm. and the way we were doing things could still run okay. if I was not seeing clients. Okay. I want to take a quick little, little diversion here because yeah. I think you're bringing up a good point. And this model, you know, it's talked about a lot of what I would, what I call the salon model where, Hey, I own the facility, the brick and right. mortar. I'm going to rent space to people. And we've seen this with, I've seen it personally where you have a chiropractor or maybe another chiropractor working out of the physical space, but they're legally two separate businesses, you know, and you play landlord role. Yep. And you you might have a trainer and a gym and, you know, all the massage. And I've seen it as those kind of pods around for those people considering that Mm -hmm. we just spend like three minutes here considering that what are the benefits of that model and what are the negatives? Because you have transitioned out, but yeah, you are a very, um, what do I say? You strike me as somebody that is in the constant improvement, constant expansion, not necessarily like size or, or right. revenue, but like expansion of what can we do here? Exactly. You treat, you treat business like an art and you're like, Hey, what, what can I, you know, what's my masterpiece here? I haven't yet seen mm-hmm. it, but for yes. those considering that model, or maybe they're like, Hey, I have all this space and I'm not like my license just doesn't cover the enough, doesn't make enough revenue to pay it off. What are the the pluses of that model? Yeah. So it's low risk in a, a few ways. So financially, if you want to get a larger space or you have a larger space with offices that are not being used and you want to have other disciplines 
or even the same discipline in your same location, it's a low risk way to have some consistent revenue coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just tell and- the provider, hey, we charge, I'm making up numbers here, we charge $1,000 a month that gets yep. you this room and use of the general spaces like the waiting room and maybe an open gym. Mm-hmm. And we also provide, you know, printer and paper. We stock the break room and I don't know, exactly. I'm trying to think. Exactly. So you really are in a landlord role, which depending on what you want to do for your job, it's a pro Mm -hmm. or a con. Um, A lot of providers wouldn't necessarily enjoy being in a landlord role. And you really, you're catapulted into being a landlord. So you're dealing with complaints about the space. You're dealing with turnover of people staying in their lease or, you know, for the year and then leaving or breaking their lease all the landlord things. So right. those are the cons. Um, the The biggest reason to do it is that kind of consistency, low risk. Okay, you want to have these people together or you want to add more providers, but you're not ready to hire them. And then you know how much money is coming in. You can make a little extra. The cons are the revenue on that is capped. There's there's really no room for exponential growth when you're renting out rooms. There's a point right. where people are just not going to pay you more money to right. rent the same room. Um, the other, the major downside, and I knew when I started with that model that we would never stay in that model long-term, but the reason I did it was for to have it be low risk at the beginning. And we grew organically. So there wasn't, you know, I didn't have a bunch of capital when I started my clinic. It was a very grassroots organic growth. So, but the biggest con for me downside is just around the ability to collaborate truly as a team. So our model is extremely collaborative and we meet every week as an entire staff. We coordinate care for patients. And when you have people who are their own businesses, some people are on board and they wanted to spend their time doing that. But then you have those people, those couple people over here that are renting rooms going, I don't really want to spend my time doing that. And then it makes the flow very disjointed. Yeah. Um, what so, about the, you're, you're very brand centric, right? Yeah. Did you feel like, you know, people introduce services or unfortunately I've seen it where people get into a tight financial space. So they jump on some, I don't want to low class promotion. I will say that. Yeah. yeah. Like you're not putting up that poster in this building and you know, that kind of feeling, which it's not necessarily the poster. It's now we have a fractured relationship, right? Like it's, it's, it's tearing at both of us. Well, exactly. The relationships get really tricky in that model. I mean, they can get really tricky as an employer, of course, as well, but in the collective model where everyone's their own business, then you have, let's say 10 people in your clinic who all want to grow their own brand. Mm-hmm. And I've wellness centers do this all the time, right? They put all the logos on the front door. They put all the different businesses, right? And yeah. it's like, that can work and that's a choice to do. Right. But when I in- created the clinic, that was never what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be one business. I wanted it to present to the public as one business cohesive. And it wasn't so much about like, I have to grow my brand. It was more like the purpose of us being here is to be united, not to be separated and disjointed. So we definitely ran into that like co-branding issue quite a bit. And then it's the same thing with 1099s or people you're renting space to if they're their own business. And they are operating in a way that is not in alignment with your values of your business. It creates a rupture in the relationship. And it's just, it it's doesn't, it's not the flow that we wanted. Right. Yeah. And for the listeners out there, the solution to that usually is very easy, except expensive. <laughs> like if you want everywhere in the same exactly. uniform, it's like buy the uniforms, do this, hire them as W-2s. Yeah. And that's early on in a business, it's like, that's the struggle, right? Is you're like, I can't afford to get everybody under the same brand right. and pay. Uh, but in the same regard, dang it, I don't like these additional brands. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And these are just things you have to navigate. There are people out there who navigate it very well and operate. I have a friend that owns a, like a, I don't know if you've heard of Sola Salons or it's yeah. like where, yep. yeah, they own a model like that. They own something like 50 of them across the country and 
man, they just seem to live the life we we all aspire to. They're like, it's great, you know? Yeah, well, and that's a completely different approach, right? It's like you're choosing to own... It's, Solo Salons is basically like a franchise and right. it's a specific model, right? Where you're owning the space. It's it's a it's a beautiful building. My aunt is a hairstylist and she has a spot at a Sola salon. Yeah. And it's a beautiful space, right? But the owners aren't there like running things, mm-hmm. right? They're it's not mm-hmm. a team of people. It's mm-hmm. all independent professionals doing their thing and running their business. And that's that's a completely different model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cool that there are these different models, like for, you know, the listeners out there, like, uh, you know, I promote the the clinic and gym, but there's a million ways to do it. And, and, you know, especially if you don't want to do, you know, and I think there are factors in there. Some work really well if you want to be a provider on site, still making a lot of the revenue and some work better. If you, you're like, Hey, listen, I spent my 10 years as a mental health therapist or chiropractor. Now I want to go into business owner role. Yeah. And you're going to do more of that. But let's move on to move back, I guess, to the, yeah. the hiring and whatnot. I, I said I wanted to cover that. Um, in your first couple of years as you were hiring, let's just stick to front desk staff. Okay. What were some big things that kind of you learned along the way about what you want to do and how you want to operate it or, or things you're like, don't do this at all. Like this was a huge mistake. Don't go back to this. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like in h- hiring and who we choose for front desk or do you mean like our actual systems of front desk? Let's stick to the people side, like okay. finding the right people, the interview process mm-hmm. or onboarding if we just kind of treat that as a module. Yeah. So what I've learned over the years with the front desk position is that there are a few personality types that do really well up there. And one of them are anyone who is uh, like an artist, dancer, performer, musician. And the reason is because they're pursuing their passion in, I mean, it's, they, oftentimes they also really appreciate healthcare and alternative healthcare. Um, which is typically in alignment, but they are pursuing their dream of becoming a musician at night and weekends. And they need a day job and they appreciate the stability of a day job. (laughs) And those personalities are really hard workers. They have really strong work ethic and um, they're super motivated generally. If That's very pursuing. funny. I never thought about that. Like, yeah. I mean, if you work with anybody like who's a aspiring Broadway actor yeah, and you're like, listen, I'm going to pay you a dollar a month and you're going to work 40 hours a week. They're going to be like, that's right in line with what I'm currently getting paid. So we're good. Exactly. You know, exactly. Right. <laughs> I had a mentor um, tell me if he, uh, early on in my business, he said, if you, he had a list, but he's like, if you ever have a collegiate wrestler come in and apply for a job, he's like, just hire him. And we'll figure out where to put them. It's like, but I guarantee they'll be the hardest worker in the room because this person yeah. ran on a treadmill in a plastic bag, you know, for an hour. So you ask him to take the trash out five minutes after their shift ended is not even going to ruffle their, their eyebrows, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's um, interesting. So, you know, the front desk position, typically you would expect turnover in that position. It's tem- uh-huh. It's typically a temporary position where we found success where people stay longer in the position. Cause really over the years we haven't, people typically stay like an average of two years in that position at our clinic. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes they will grow with our company and stay in the company. But the other kind of personality type or pathway are of course, people who are studying to become providers. Okay. Or do something in our field. So mm-hmm. they want experience. They want to learn what it's really like. We've had multiple um, people in that role who uh, want to become therapists and they want to be able to shadow our team or they want to become a naturopathic doctor or massage therapist. We've had someone who wanted to become an esthetician. So um, that's pretty typical is their interest so they, in the field. They want to do the let's say highest role in the clinic, but because yeah. they're either young or in school or whatever, they'll, they're willing to work the front desk 
just to get a little bit of exposure to mm-hmm. the model and see that kind of flow. Yeah, and it's oftentimes before they go to graduate school or continuing their education. Um, So that's kind of the themes that we've seen, or we get the people that need the healthcare themselves, need the collaborative care, need this type of alternative medicine. They're dealing with their own chronic illness. 99% of the people on our team have chronic illnesses. It's part of- None of which your company created. I just want to be clear about that. Well, sure. They came in with- (laughs) That's 100% of our people end up with a chronic disease. No. Everyone is just unhealthy. No, yeah, it's <laughs> like... so funny. Um, no, people gravitate towards us to work here because they feel like it's a safe place to be an employee yeah. because we, um, because we understand, you know, right. yeah. and, and our thing. systems it's... are built around that. So those Can are I the go main... back real quick. Yeah. Um, how long did it take you to discover that that artist, uh, performer, dancer, it is a good kind of um, demographic. Yeah. It was our second admin that we had um, who was a musician, singer, and she also did sound healing and stuff like that. Um, Mm. And so she kind of kicked things off in that realm. And Mm. then it was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Okay. All right. so then let's talk about, uh, so that's finding the people, right? Yeah. Can you guide us through some things that you've learned around the interviewing? Like, because mm-hmm. to me, interviewing is a filter or a, it's the last chance you have at a safety net or money back guarantee. Because one thing that I think is common and, and I actually, we didn't cover it. Kendall runs a, a, a business called Wellness, uh, was it Wellness Studio Creators? Wellness Center Creators. The wellness my clinic is called yeah. Vancouver Wellness Studio. Right. And that's Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, yes. Canada. Yeah. Correct. So the reason I bring that up is you've taken your systems and you help people build them into their own things. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I, I'm sure you've seen in your, I don't know if you've seen this in yourself, but certainly in clients is sometimes hiring is we as owners treat it as a a savior, right? Oh, I'm going to hire this person and finally I'll get to go home at 5 p.m. or mm. finally we'll make money or finally we'll do this and that person yeah. is going to save us, yeah. which is absolutely the wrong approach and the wrong mindset to enter with. So what 100%. I've learned as as an owner is the interview process is your chance to protect yourself from your dumb ass decisions, <laughs> your dumb ass thoughts, <laughs> because you don't want to enter that. What you want to do is say like, I want to add a person to grow yeah. The overall model, you know, mm-hmm. and so are they the right person? Are they this? Mm-hmm. Are they that? So anyways, um, uh, interviewing. Yeah, what, interviewing. Yeah. So just to piggyback on that, there's no magic wand. If you put someone, if you hire a new role into your company to take things off your own plate as the owner, it's just more work for you, especially in the beginning, right? Eventually, Technically, it might be less work for you. You're doing less tasks, but in whatever those previous tasks you were doing, but then you're taking on other work. So it's, there's nothing that will save you and, you know, make it so that you just are going to make a million dollars and not do anything. So that is just like nothing is passive. It's, yeah. Um, so interviewing the biggest things, and this goes for, all positions in the company. But for specifically talking about admin, multiple interviews, we have found it's just really important to be with that person in different settings multiple times. Um, 100% agree. Like you got to spread it out over time because it also gives you time to come to your senses if you're being dumb. And it also gives them time to, I've had this a couple of times in hiring is like that person says, you know what? After I really thought about it, I don't, I'm not yet ready to leave my kids or, you know, like it's a a mom that's like going back into the workforce or something like that. Yes. And those things just take time instead of just saying, Hey, Monday, come into the office and Tuesday, you're starting at the front desk. So when we think about front desk, the other piece for any position on the team is to always include some other people on your team. We include our entire team as part of the process for any position. So yeah, you presented on this and this is what yeah. this is when my eyebrows kind of raised like the entire team, huh? 
Okay. Yeah, 20 people. <laughs> so we do an initial interview. We do a second interview that includes typically like whoever supervisor that person would have as their supervisor or, you know, another person in that modality or whatever position it is. And then third interview is the whole team. So it's 20 people at, as of today. Um, and we do a group interview. And quick question, yes. just is it only everybody on your team in that location? Or no, is it's it both entire... locations. It's the whole, whole company. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, you ever thought about going it, into wedding planning? I mean, it's about as, as confusing you know, as that. I, <laughs> I feel like I would be really good at wedding planning or construction. Oh, it'd be a breeze for you. <laughs> yeah. I have always felt like last time I did a uh, remodel on our kitchen, I, I was literally halfway through almost started a construction company that was led yeah. by an entire female team because I couldn't handle it. <laughs> it was so unorganized. Anyway. Yeah. I but luckily it was expensive and, uh, and luckily. didn't meet the schedule, right? Like, <laughs> Oh my yeah. gosh. Um, so yes, we have the whole staff together for a group interview and the really important pieces of that. And I think we get into this in a little bit, but being really mindful when you're bringing someone into any part of the interview, but especially the group interview that you're letting them know what to expect when they come. And this is mm. one of our values of having a trauma-informed approach to everything we do in our care with patients, but also as a team, as an employer. And so giving them a heads up, setting the stage, what are they going to expect when they get to the group interview? How many people are going to be there? We're going to ask them some questions. They're going to have time to ask us questions, um, that type of thing. So the group interview, then we always do a practical. And so front desk included. So typically we'll have the front, if they're the top candidate, they'll come for like two to four hours and we will train them on a few mm -hmm. things and see mm -hmm. how quickly they pick it up and okay. see how they respond to it and what their natural instincts are when mm -hmm. patients come in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you call that a practical interview step. It's not the whole interview. That's just one of the steps. That's a practical interview step. So like with providers, the practical interview would be, you know, if it's an acupuncturist, they're doing an, uh, an acupuncture session for me or the lead acupuncturist, someone on right. our team. Okay, cool. Um, can you share a story of a, a time where you thought you had the perfect candidate and then at some one of those steps... It just went to all hell because yeah. I wish you guys, this is an audio podcast, Kendall, but if they would have just seen your reaction, it's obviously happened once or twice in your company. So like, share it with us because oh, that's man. the point of that multi-step interview. That's what we've learned yeah. is like, there are people that in my case, there are a lot of people that'll fake you out in the front end and, oh, and yeah. they'll go and you'll be like, oh my God, I can't, how do we find this person? And then mm -hmm. either later in the interview or God forbid you're onboarding and going, who was the person that we interviewed like two months ago? Cause this is oh, not yeah. them. And then the flip side is there are so many people that come off as duds in early yes. and you're like, Oh my God, you are Tom Brady. I don't know if you're a football fan, Tom Brady. <laughs> I know who Tom Brady is. <laughs> yeah. Notoriously was like basically picked seventh round. Right. Uh, and, and you get a Tom Brady, you get somebody that like was horrible on the early interview, but as it develops, you're like, they have more and more of the qualities we're looking for. And then, you know, they, they get on board and you're like, it just keeps getting better. We have yeah. a woman on our team right now that uh, went through, a, uh, like had a horrible anaphylactic reaction and a concussion. And early on, I was like, okay, this person is good or blah, blah, blah. She has grown to be spectacular. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what I was seeing was a version of a spectacular person with the dealing with the medical condition mm -hmm. because my only perspective at that moment was, Hey, this is the only person we dealt with. Right. Mm -hmm. She continues to get better and impress every month. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I have multiple stories. So I think what I've learned early on was that there are people, and this came even from me interviewing people to become renters at the clinic because we were still trying to do this collaborative thing and I wanted to know people. 
So what I learned early on is that there are people are going to come into the interview and they there are those people that are very charismatic and kind of like, you know, overly excited and passionate and they're very attractive, right? As a renter or an employee, it's like, oh, wow, they have good energy. They're so excited. They seem to know what they're talking about. And then you have the people that you meet and you're like, mm, I don't know, they they maybe they're kind of boring right? What I learned early on is to hire the boring people, right? Because they're not actually boring and it's a huge judgment. And, but what they are is grounded and they know themselves. And those are the people who don't create drama on your team. The people who are like, seem a little too good to be true. When you first meet them, they're typically too good to be true. And, and this is, you know, I have fallen in this trap more times than I'd like to admit over the years. And we typically when it happens is if we get in a place where we're feeling rushed or desperate to fill the position, right? If someone leaves unexpectedly or we have, you know, like our expansion to the spa, it was like, okay, we really need someone solid at the front desk. And we, this just happened six months ago. And we, the person that came through and I will never, I typically don't, if people miss their first interview for any reason, it's a no-go for me. This, for this time in particular, I had other people like, we got in this flow of like, well, we really need someone. Let's give them a chance. Right. Mm-hmm. And they had really good reason. It was an, a true emergency. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned over and over again is that if they have an emergency on the day of the interview, they're going to keep having emergencies as they work for you. And, and it's happened more than once. And so it, it just wasn't a fit. And mm-hmm. we, we realized it a few weeks in. And after, cause they presented really well, they finally did an interview presented really well. Resume was like, Oh, every kind of background that we would need for, to be successful in this position come to find out that wasn't really accurate or truthful. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we totally uh, got, got sucked into that flow. And then we started seeing signs that the person was not going to be able to do the position. And it actually, it caused so much damage to. So you business. brought them on to like, how far did they get in your business? Like a month. A month of actual, like they are working their job yes. before you realize, hey man, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Well, it was in the setup of the spa. And so the first couple of weeks were like setting it up. And then the mm-hmm. second couple of weeks were actually working the job. And, um, and then it just, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then we realized it was, we were in a really bad situation. So we had to make a change and, um, and it, every time it comes back to take your time with hiring, make sure you're really getting yeah. to know the person, make sure you have multiple people meeting them and, and feeling like they can come to you and say, Hey, I see a red flag, right? Okay. If your team doesn't feel like they can come to you and say, then that's another barrier, right? Have you had that where you were thinking, Oh, we have a great candidate here. And somebody came to one of your team members is like, Kendall, I'm nervous to say this, but this isn't our, mm-hmm. this isn't our game. I mean, most, my team's pretty, they know that they can, they have, like, yeah. that's why we do the group interview because everyone mm-hmm. has a say. Um, yeah. This, that situation in particular, we all kind of got fooled in the beginning. Yeah. Um, we've definitely had situations where the team is split on like half mm-hmm. the team's not really sure about someone. Mm-hmm. And then the other half is like, yes, definitely. Um, so it depends on the modality. So if it's like a mental health counselor, it's typically it's my discretion and the lead therapist discretion. If half the team is like, I'm not sure. And mm-hmm. we're like, you know what? We've got this one, you know? Yeah. Um, Have you ever heard Google? Google has a rule uh, that they use in different, different, it's called ignore the hippos. Mm-hmm. And they talk about it with like design and hiring and everything. But the hippo is the highest important paid person's opinion. 
So yeah. in this case, it'd be you. Right. So if like three people say no and Kendall saying yes, what Google has learned is, all right, I'm sorry, Kendall, you're the highest ranking. Therefore, therefore, yeah. what, what they're saying is you're the least involved at the street level. You know, like, Absolutely. yes, you are owner. Um, yeah. we, we had a situation like that where we hired somebody at the front desk and one of our rehab assistants or C, CAs, we call them chiropractic mm-hmm. assistants, was a young girl. She's like, I think she was completing high school or something. And she was like, Hey, um, like she didn't really know how to form it. And we didn't know how to receive the information yet in our business. Really mm-hmm. was what was going on. She said, I, I think we might need someone new at the front desk. And I was like, really you think we're that busy like, being dumb? Like, wow, you think we need twice as much staff? <laughs> and then she came back a couple of days later, like, Hey, I think we should blah, blah, blah. And then luckily she made that comment. And there was a, patient that just a long-term, you know, hundred percent brand ambassador kind of patient came in for an appointment and they kind of both gave the same message at the appointment. Like, Hey, you really should watch what's happening. Mm. And then we got our first one-star review. <laughs> so, and it was yeah. all based on the way, I guess. The front desk. Yeah. She would just like mm-hmm. ignore people when they were there, very cold, very whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, but she's one of those people that is super warm with the owners, super warm with the people exactly. Matter. Well, yeah. that's so I'm totally on board with that. I like when we hire front desk or basically anyone who's not in the mental health side, yeah. um, that final decision is up to the people who know how to do that job and are in the day to day of that job. Yeah. Right. And so the provider, because I don't see patients anymore. And so the providers who are seeing patients, they are supported by the front desk. They know mm-hmm. what they need from the front desk. And are, you know, for hiring for the second location, it's like the front desk at our clinic is going to, was, you know, for the next person we hired, Mm -hmm. they are integral to that process because they know the job. Like, do you think this person can do this job? Because at this point in time, I, I wouldn't be able to sit down at the front desk and do the job in its full capacity without training on it. Right. You know? Yeah. 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 It's, it's funny when you're like, I, I don't even know all the things that go on here. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know a lot I mean, of the things great. that go on, but yeah, but um, yeah, you know, it, but it's also a sign of maturity, right? Like you shouldn't right. be involved in every single, exactly the way it's done just does the job get done. And, and who knows how to get people at the front desk know how to make the front desk flow better or intake of patients into the waiting room. Like they know how to make that better. And we might say, we yeah. want it to feel like this and they can do the, how to be exactly. Kendall, I think we unfortunately dove into a subject that we could talk for the next 8.75 hours. But what I want to finish with in the time we have remaining is, um, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, over the years, one of the yeah. things that impressed me at the when I saw you present in Vancouver, Canada, was yeah. you have taken this and you have taken what you want and your flavor or your brand and everything and still been able to systematize it. Mm-hmm. And um, can you maybe share some tips with people that are like at that point where they're growing, if they want to systematize it, how can you do that in a way that maintains the the brand and the message, but also ensures more quality, ensures consistency and reduces time and mistakes? Yeah, I think systemizing anything while keeping the integrity of your brand as you grow is really about clarity for yourself first um, and and the vision for your company mm-hmm. in the short term and long term. Super easy um, to say and super hard to pull easy, off, right? Easier said than done. Um, yeah. So it takes, I think there's a misconception that people think, okay, as my clinic grows, I'm going to be, you know, everything's going to be easier for me or I'm going to make all this money or like that, you know, it's just going to be easier. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that a lot of things are much harder because you're, if you start very small and you have systems that work or most clinic owners don't, you know, in the early years, don't even write down the systems. And so as you grow, then you're going to see all the gaps in your systems and, and what's not working. Um, mm-hmm. So, but getting clear with 
your vision, it's, I always coach people like, it's like a ballet dancer. They're a professional ballet dancer, but every day they come in and they do plies and they do basic foundational ballet, right? No different than John Wooden fundamentals of basketball with UCLA, yes. right? Like yes. we're going to dribble, we're going to shoot free throws, we're going to shoot three pointers, we're going to yeah. shoot layups, like just. So every day it's coming back. Like I have my top 10 values of my work and my life, paste it on the wall behind my computer. I look mm-hmm. at them every single day. Mm-hmm. Because if I make a decision about my business, I come back to my values. They're, they're all statements, right? So like my first top value is family, but my statement is family is the foundation. So if I make a decision about the business, the first thing I think about is, okay, how does this affect my husband? How does it affect my kids? Do I want to make this decision? And then I go down the line of my values. Is this in alignment? And coming also back to the reason you started the company. Why did you become a provider? Why did you start the company? Is this growth in alignment? And if so, what systems keep it in alignment and in integrity? So for example, for us, you know, we started so that we could serve our community in a different way, give people a different experience in healthcare and also to give healthcare providers a different experience at work. So if we're going to grow larger, we need to keep the integrity of what we do foundationally is collaborate on behalf of patients. So if we get bigger, how do we keep doing that? Well, we need to create more SOPs. We need to create more policies and procedures. We need to write them down. We need to make sure everyone knows what they are supposed to do. And that is the hardest thing to do. It sounds easy. But to have clarity in your role and have everyone on your team have extreme clarity in their role is very difficult because things are changing all the time. And in businesses like this, in wellness centers, there tends to be a lot of hybrid roles or people wearing lots of hats in any small business. So that it's very, very challenging to do. Um, But if if you're trying to systemize things that would be your number one priority is to pause and set aside time to really look at and write out like, what are the job descriptions of everyone? What is the client journey? Like what is, what system do they go through? And do we need to, you know, enhance any of that? Um, And do people know what they're supposed to do? And do they know who they're supposed to go to for different questions or if they have an issue or concern? Right. Because that's really a lot about employees' contentment and happiness is like no surprises, right? Feeling like they understand what they're coming into and they understand and can trust, you know, what you're doing as a company. So, just like when we want to hire because we're trying to problem solve or, you know, get saved. Yeah. The best thing to do is stop, reaffirm what your values are, and then essentially build an interview process that tests for those values. You're saying when we go to systematize, stop. I I agree with you because sometimes SOPs, there's like these SOPs are often, and even KPIs, key performance indicators. And for those who don't know, SOPs are standard operating procedures or how do I do this job? Right. Yeah. And I think there's this like misconception that we're going to write out exactly how it is and blah, blah, blah. Which is great that you're identifying that just like a job, a job description, right? You're identifying, but filling in those gaps and those blanks is way different. And sometimes SOPs to me feel like somebody is trying to learn how to swim and you're throwing the textbook about swimming at them. Well, you're (laughs) literally like like actually helping me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's not helpful. You, yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. You actually have to train someone how to be successful in the SOP that you've written But it's, it's helpful, you know, if you're expanding, especially if you're bringing on other disciplines, it's helpful to have it formally somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's guidepost, right? I mean, just like you have a, a, just because you, you have a, a license to do mental health therapy, 
no two clients are the same. And even the same client, no two visits are the same within that, right? Like how do you navigate all those? And it's just giving them general borders. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I went to this um, business mastermind one time and the COO of the company where that we had purchased the ticket from was presenting and she had really transformed that company over the last three years. And I love this perspective of SOPs. I thought I would share it. She said, um, every take a piece of white paper, describe to me, we're going to make an SOP on how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Right. And so we all do that for like, we write it out for five minutes and then she's like, all right, great. And then she went around the room. She's like, all right, what's your role? It's like, I'm owner of the company. She's like, all right, I'm going to guess that yours says maybe three steps. Yeah. <laughs> Bread, peanut butter, jelly sandwich. Yeah. And then, you know, flipped it over and it's like, oh yeah, three scribbled steps. And then you go mm-hmm. to the person who's like, and what's your role? Oh, I'm, you know, the head of um, finance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, yours is going to have like at least 10 steps. It's going to specify, you know, which brand of bread and which brand of jelly. Yeah. And it was really a great learning lesson to me because as an owner, I'm just like, oh, Kendall, hey, mm-hmm. here's the process. Right. And you're like, that was the introduction to a process, but that certainly was not a process, you know? And yeah, it, well, and- it's the mindset, like owners, you know, we we tend to assume that people are know things and are self-sufficient and right. are going to figure it out, right? And, and stayed not- up late last night looking at YouTube videos and books right. and this and that to figure it out like we did because that's what we do. And it, so it's really important to remember when you're yeah. hiring that if you're hiring an employee, you're hiring them into position and it's up to you to make sure they understand what the position is and what they're expected to do. And they are, they are not an, the owner of the company. Why right. would they do all this extra work to sure. figure it out? They shouldn't have to. Right. And I yeah. think we've all fallen into that trap where it's like, Oh, well, this is what we would do. So why wouldn't they do it? So right. always reminding yourself, like, you know, the, you're not hiring clones of you and you, you really wouldn't want to if we, <laughs> let's face no. it. Yeah. You don't, <laughs> your business has enough problems from just the one of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess the, the other lesson I took away is to, as a general rule, the lower the position in the organizational structure, the more detail you probably need to provide because sure. the person is either younger I mean, you think about like McDonald's, probably super tight SOPs because they're hiring 800 16-year-olds yeah. every two months or something, you know? Like, right, right. So it's probably like, pick up the spatula. Here's a picture of it, you know? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Great. Well, Kendall, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate the time. Um, and I want to appreciate you. Can you just give us like a one-minute uh, overview of what... Um, wellness center creators does. So people listening be like, Hey man, that's my job. I I drive with that. Mm -hmm. I want to maybe hook up with Kendall for that. Yeah. So wellness center creators, we provide business coaching and consultation for healthcare providers, business owners. And, you know, most of our clientele tend to be clinic owners or solo providers who want to grow their team, um, mm-hmm. but definitely specialize in the multidisciplinary wellness center space. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those who are wanting to add modalities or expand or um, or just have their business be running more um, efficiently, effectively, profitably. So uh, we have myself and two other coaches on the wellness center creators team. And uh, we provide group coaching, individual coaching. And this year we've started in-person retreats. So the first one is in September and we'll be doing that every year. And you can um, find out and more don't under Don't undersell that. The way you set up the retreats, I, pre- I think is pretty sweet because, you know, you're getting a, a business owner showing up and they're frazzled. They left light, you know, they had to work till nine o'clock the night before they left and blah, 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 blah. And they got things to go back to. So how have you set it up to kind of balance your knowledge of humans Mm -hmm. and learning in stress situations as a mental health therapist and also, hey, I want to be an effective business coach for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm a mental health counselor. So, and I think this goes for kind of any modality, but when we go to conferences and things like that, intensives, it's super overwhelming and tiring. It's hard to take in, even take in the information and the learning. So. Anyway, the retreat is set up as uh, wellness and coaching. So 
It's meant to be a restorative experience for business owners, clinic owners, as well as a coaching experience. So for example, every morning we'll start with an hour of movement, a few couple hours coaching, uh, group wellness activities like community acupuncture, lunch, more coaching, ending with, you know, meditation, restorative activities, everyone who's coming to the retreat, um, it will get a spa treatment at our spa location. Uh, so it's kind of weaved in throughout the three days of being able to pause and really just take time for yourself. Um, and that just came out of, uh, you know, mine and our, my colleagues experiences at these intensive and conferences where it's, um, it's, it's hard to even integrate the information. So we're trying to mitigate that. And we have a, um, team of 10 facilitators from all of the U S and Canada coming to teach on their expertise. And I'm really looking forward to it. That's awesome. Yeah. It sounds like a very engaging experience and, you know, when, we have done a lot of recent research on patient communication. And when you look at the retention of what you have patients, it is absolutely horrible. I mean, if you can, when they leave your office, they've already forgotten or misremembered, meaning it's inaccurate information, mm-hmm. 25% of it as they're walking out of your office. And four hours later, it's less than 50. Right? Yeah. And I think it's the same for us at conferences. Like you're saying, like you might be sitting in a conference going, in a presentation going, this is the most impactful information, blah, blah, blah. And you're going to forget or misremember most of what you're seeing, right? Yeah. So if you have that ability to create some space, (laughs) shake it out a little bit. Yeah, create some space and also tangible things. Like it's really important to us. We're creating the Wellness Center Creators Workbook that is a physical published workbook of everything start to finish and beyond of creating your clinic and wellness center. And um, so all the attendees are getting that workbook and hopefully it helps them leave and integrate the information. And um, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Kendall, this has been a breath of fresh air. So I appreciate it. I think you should change the name of your consulting business to just two words or three words, pause. And then <laughs> that's what I mean. when you're, when you're hiring pause and then, or yeah. uh, interviewing yeah. pause. And then. So yeah, in life, pause. <laughs> absolutely. Like when you're dealing with your kids, you want to jump in pause. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. So, all right. Well, Kendall, thanks so much for the time today. Uh, and everybody out there, I hope you got a lot of information from this. Kendall has obviously been through uh, uh, quite a few versions of her own business. And it's great that she's sharing that with you. If people want to reach out to you, Kendall, what's the best way for them to find you? Uh, wellnesscentercreators.com or Kendall at wellnesscentercreators.com. You can email me. Fantastic. All right. Well, on behalf of Kendall Hagenson, this is Dr. Josh Saturday saying go out there, maximize your license and live the life you dream of. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're looking for more information about me, about us, about our programs, then just head to clinicgymhybrid.com. Again, that's clinicgymhybrid.com. You can check us out there. We've got our accelerator program and a few other programs that will help you get up and running as quickly as possible and making more money while providing excellent active therapy to your patients.